Three-point range back with you uh, after a brief hiatus. It's been a summer of hiatuses, but uh, we've run out of excuses and we're back. So this is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, and the professor, Tim Crothers. And uh, I think it'd be wisest to stick with the professor in the leadoff spot. Honestly, it would be wisest to just let me talk the whole time, but I'll, I'll let what? you guys talk if you want to. Let's call him on it. Dude, uh-huh. go. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know I could wax poetic for this entire podcast if I needed to. Mm. Speaking of summer, I I regret to inform you both that uh, that uh, there's a certain event that's about to start now that, that marks the end of the summer. Summer is coming to an end. Uh, it might not seem that way, but indeed, that is the case. And and of course, I am speaking about the Little League World Series. My son and I have, for years, considered it the the end of summer, and uh, we have watched it together. I guess, gosh, since he was about four or five years old, we've started watching the Little League World Series together. And you know, from from day from the days when he was dreaming about someday playing in the Little League World Series until the time he was actually of the age of the of the uh, players who were in the, in the Little League World Series, 12, 13, 14 maybe, um, to, uh, to points where he is actually older than the, the players out there and can appreciate uh, what it must be like to, to face a kid throwing 70 miles an hour from three feet away as, as they do in the, uh, in the Little League World Series. But, uh, but the, the poetic part of this, uh, well, they are many, but, but, one of them is that a few years ago, uh, we were doing a driving trip around the eastern part of the United States. We went to Niagara Falls, and we were headed, headed back down toward where I live here in North Carolina. And we decided to take a detour to, uh, to Williamsport, PA. This was, I guess, when my son was about 15 years old, something like that. And we stayed the night in Williamsport, and... The next morning, before we left, my son and I took a, uh, a little detour over to the complex. And it, I remember it was kind of a misty, misty morning and cloudy. Nobody was around at all. Uh, we didn't really know what to expect when we got there. And it was absolutely crickets, nobody around. This was only maybe a few weeks before the Little League World Series was going to start that year. Um, and... Uh, we decided, okay, let's let's see what we can do while we're here. And we went, we drove and parked at Lomity Stadium, the the main complex there. And we walked uh, into the stadium to see whether we could actually walk in. And of course, we could. And then we walked. We just kept pushing the pushing the limits. And before I knew it, we were having a catch in the outfield at Lomity Stadium. I don't want to get all field of dreams on you, but uh, <laughs> but it was. Uh, it was one of those. It was definitely one of those field of dreams moments, and uh, you know we we probably spent I don't know fifteen minutes just throwing the ball back and forth at at Lomity Stadium, and it was a it was it was a it was one of those father son moments that you you know you you never forget. And now every year since, obviously, when we watch the we watch the Little League World Series, we think about the fact that we were we were on that on that uh, that sacred ground um, 
playing, you know, or having our own little catch as they as they uh, are playing the going through the Little League World Series. And I bring it up because because today is actually the first day of of the regional qualifying. August fourth is the first day of regional qualifying for for the American teams. And so in Warner Robins, Georgia, and Waco, Texas, right now, uh, today they will begin the journey that uh, that all teams hope will end in Williamsport. And as I'm sure. You all know. I mean, it's it's we're not we're not watching uh, a bunch of nobodies here. We're watching players that actually sometimes end up in the major leagues. Uh, my crack research staff tells me that there's been about sixty players uh, in in the history of the Little League World Series. It's a seventy five year history of the Little League World Series that uh, have made it ultimately to the major leagues, mostly just for a cup of coffee, but. But there have been, uh, you know, there have been a fair amount uh, that you would know the Cody Bellingers, the Grandville Gritchicks, Michael Conforto, Jerickson Profar, Jonathan Scope, and Kimball's personal favorite, Cooper Hummel. You probably weren't even aware of that, Kimball, were you? That your favorite player, Cooper Hummel, was once a Little League World Series uh, player. Tim, did your research staff report that the Padres have actually traded all of those players within the last few days? <laughs> well, hopefully we'll get to that since we have the scout with us. But um, but just to finish the point, yes, uh, we you know I guess what that tells me is yeah, I've seventy five years of a Little League World Series. This is the seventy fifth year, so I guess they're probably going to make a big deal out of it. And I'll I'll be honest. That uh, you know, unfortunately, like with everything else, once the once ESPN realized that that this was a, a golden goose, to me they've sort of pushed it a little bit too far. Unfortunately, um, and you know, it's it's become a bit bit more of a of a spectacle than than I would prefer it to be in, in terms of just watching it. Uh, there's just so much going on, and it it does make me wonder. I don't know whether you guys have ever thought of this or whether you ever whether you guys have focused on it at all, but. It does make me wonder what it must be like for a twelve-year-old to, you know, be be to show up in Williamsport and suddenly there's there's a, a producer and director and they're interviewing you about your favorite ice cream and everything else and you are just being wined and dined in every way and you turn up on TV and you're you know you're you're on TV for for a few days and then all of a sudden <laughs> you return and you're back and you're back in ninth grade or whatever, whatever grade you'd be in at that age, seventh grade. And, uh, it's gotta be just an absolutely mind blowing experience for everybody, everybody who's involved. But I think for the most part, to me, it's, uh, it is one of the few things, um, in sports that has remained relatively, um, relatively, uh, you know, palatable that has not been, not, not been completely destroyed. Uh, and, I, I will say that, you know, as I was sitting, standing on, on the field at Lomity that day, that, uh, you know, I, I thought this is, you know, this is something that's still pure. And we don't, we just don't have that happening much in, uh, in sports anymore. And, uh, and, you know, I'm, I personally hope, hope that this year we'll have another one of those, you know, last few years, we've had some really good, uh, you know, championship games. The, the Americans have done better in recent years and, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but when uh, when they fill up Lomity Stadium and then they fill up the outside the the, uh, the hillside behind the behind the wall, the capacity of Lomity Stadium is forty five thousand, which is greater than most of 
most of our current MLB ballparks. And if, if we have a if we have the right mixture of championship game this year, um, there are going to be more people watching the Little League World Series championship than are going to be watching uh, the MLB most MLB games that day. But anyway, uh, bottom line is, uh, I just think it's it is one of those things that um, that we should one of those one of those uh, sports. Uh, things that we should we should cherish. It's it is one of the few things that we have left that is is truly pure, and uh, and I'm just curious. When, when I started to think about it today, I was wondering: is this just me, or is this, do do other people see it the same way uh, as the as the um, basically the end of summer and the uh, and the and the beginning? I I guess the last thing I should say is my son is now now a rising college kid and. He will uh, he will start classes at college on the very day after the championship game at little at the Little League World Series. So what could be more poetic than that? What do you guys think of the Little League World Series? Well, I thought you were going to talk about um, the announcement that came out today about the um, live that they're starting, um, and it looks like they're buying up a lot of the best players and going to have their own little. Uh, no, it's not happening. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> there is there is some sort of no sports washing league. There is a sports washing baseball league with Barry Larkin and Mariano Rivera. Did I see that? But that's another. Well, that's another. Hopefully point. not live. Yeah, live. it's something like it. Oh, little league. No, I don't know. I, it, it, they're doing something over there. All baseball right. people. Well, I actually had. You know, it's funny because when you're talking about that, out, you know. I was thinking right away about like, I'm always blown away by the exposure those kids get. And as mm-hmm. you were saying, like, what, what kind of a effect does that have on them? And I can only imagine the pressure that they play under when, when I was like, you're on national TV trying to throw a strike. And um, I, it actually makes me wonder, like, I've, I've never covered anything like that back when I was a writer. It makes me wonder if I was a writer again, how interesting those stories would be, especially since, We've had some Rhode Island successes in Little League and some some uh, uh, events that have happened with our, our Little League contestants. Um, and it'd be interesting to go talk to those people. So, you know, because I have a couple questions. And one is like, how much the kids play different under that, you know, um, with the cameras on? Like, you just think all of a sudden, like, uh, this kid didn't walk a batter all year. And all of a sudden, he got there and the cameras are on. And then, uh, as you said, that what what's it like afterwards and 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 then the biggest thing though for me is the coach as a coach is to think about you know there's there's these famous clips of like you know and this I think it was Rhode Island coach right that was like giving his team such a great pep talk and everyone just thought it was so beautiful what he was saying and I'm like come on but <laughs> I want to see him three days or three weeks earlier at practice chewing out those kids like their coach does. And then like all of a sudden when the cameras are on, it's just like, all you know, hugs and giggles. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very curious about that, but. Um, it is weird for those guys because they're always mic'd up. Right. And so, so I'm wondering, you know, yes, how much of their, how much of their coaching style changes when all of a sudden you're wearing a mic instead of right. just, just playing the, you know, the, the goofballs in Cranston, Rhode Island three weeks earlier, you know. Right. And I'm 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 sure um that Real Little League is much more bad news bears 
is um, what we see on the ESPN broadcast. Uh, but I will ask you, Tim, you, uh, I didn't have kids playing Little League, but I assume your son did play some Little League and maybe you got involved and maybe you coached. What was your personal experience? Was it just like, oh no, despite how you just waxed poetic, it was like, nope, it was lots of backstabbing and cheating and, and, and you know, bad parental behavior because, you know, um, when coaching high school basketball, it's uncanny how poorly that parents behave. Mm-hmm. And every, every you know, before every game, they read this thing about sportsmanship and how we're going to do all this stuff and only be supportive and then game starts. And it's like fans are just, you know, the parents are just not behaving well at all, yelling at refs and saying negative things about players. Um, so, yeah, I, you have I an think, experience? I think, yeah, I think that that goes that goes across the board. I can tell you from my experience coaching seven-year-olds, I can tell you, I know from your experience coaching your high school kids, and I know from dealing with uh, with a lot of college coaches in my job that 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 doesn't that never stops. That that the parent the parental angle is always the most difficult balance. Fortunately for me, uh, you know, I my my future in coaching was not based on my one loss record, and that that you know is not something that it, that very few coaches can can uh, can appreciate. So. From my my perspective, um, I it, the hardest part was just always remembering that it doesn't really matter whether or not we win this game. <laughs> and that's as a coach and as a competitor. I mean, you you both know how competitive I am in general. Uh, my you know my my decisions would definitely have been different in a lot of cases had I been had I been managing to try to win the game than a, than to you know to understand that that it's important that everybody gets in the game. And, and honestly, that comes from having, sometimes having a kid who's at the bottom of the totem pole and wanting, wanting so badly for him to get in the game when when you're watching other people coach, um, which is huge, you know, in terms of, of shaping your own ideas about coaching. Uh, And also, you know, even, even myself, you know, I remember being in, in little league as a kid and thinking about, um, you know, most of the time I was lucky enough to, to be on the field, but the times that I wasn't, how badly I wanted to be out there, and knowing that uh, you know that this was <laughs> completely, I'm completely at the mercy of this coach who may or not may or may not let me have an at bat, or may or may not play me for a single inning in a game, and uh, just how bad it felt to, to not play. Um, so yeah, I mean this is you know this is a this is a debate we could have for the next seven podcasts, but uh, but yeah, I think. Uh, you know, they, that's why they have the rules in place at the Little League World Series. I mean, they're very, you, you don't even notice it so much when you're watching the game because they don't really bring it up that much. But everybody has to bat. Everybody has to play uh, a few outs in the, in the, in, on defense. And, and uh, I think those rules are important. I mean, imagine if you were a kid who went to the Little League World Series and you never played. That would, that would just be, that would be brutal. So yeah, I think it's you know I think they do a pretty good job under the circumstances as badly as they obviously want to win, and I think that must be the hardest part for these coaches to uh, to understand that there has to be that element of of understanding what what's you know what's best for the kids, but also trying so desperately to to win the game. Yeah, because it doesn't happen like in the movies. In the movies, you put in the the last player on the bench, you know, for the big 
pinch hit at bat and he miraculously comes through. But in real mm-hmm. life, <laughs> when you're coaching. <laughs> no, and especially know, at the Little League World the, Series when, when the, kid, your when the pitchers players. are throwing 75 and you put this kid in who, you know, is your, is your 12th player. Um, usually, uh, you know, I watched a lot of these games. Usually there's, that's basically a, an automatic out and that's, you know, that's an automatic out. You have to take at some point in the game and that's part of the strategy of it. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 you know, I think they, I think they, as, as coaches, they have to, they must make a plan before the game starts basically like, all right, when am I going to get my, my deep reserves into the game? Because I have to get them in, but I don't want them to be there standing there when the game is on the line. So yeah, that's a, it's an interesting strategy. Well, uh, you guys have gone for 16 minutes on that, almost 17 minutes. And I have so much to say on that, but I'm going to try to just limit it. I have to be really precise. I have, I, and you guys, uh, Tim's interesting point. I think it's, we should do a future podcast where we tell some of our good and bad stories from that realm because they're fascinating. And, and, and I will just say that I think one of the, I, I've, I coached, I managed whatever I was the, I was in charge. I put together that thing, that <laughs> whole plan that you're talking about. I had to fight my inner competitor over and over, but 150 of those games, I, I drove to the ballpark with Daniel in the back seat, and we dragged all the equipment up there, including the tee, and we spent hours there. And you try to, you just try to get a little bit more out of every child and hope that that they create a memory. I really did. This you're gonna laugh at me. I wanted to win. My career winning percentage was 333. <laughs> uh, and I and you I actually know, know that I know it because I wanted to win. And it hurt to lose. It hurt to lose. But it also would be worse to traumatize someone out there. So the parents do a good enough job traumatizing, no doubt about that. The other coaches typically did a great job traumatizing. And I really was the most, where I was the most positive in my life ever was on around those kids in those fields. Practice was great. You hear actual coaches, Kimball, tell you practice is the best because there's no scoreboard and it, and you, you're just you're just enjoying the game. You're improving. You're you're interacting. You're shaping. But um, I did another time. We'll have to talk about how uh, we paid fifteen hundred dollars a head to go to Cooperstown All Star Village in Oneonta, New York, and we played teams from all over, including Mississauga outside of Toronto and California. And I, Daniel, I just visited my son Daniel, who's now pursuing his. His PhD in medieval history, he believes so that's not a big earning potential, but it's his passion, and I and I and I love that, and I love my son. But one of the things we still talk about is the formative days of little league, and I do think eleven to twelve, having coached these kids from all the way from six in soccer, maybe all the way to fourteen in baseball, eleven and twelve is a sweet spot in terms of they can actually look like they know what they're doing, they can actually take coaching and make those physical adjustments, and they actually still listen. Once they get to 13 and 14, it's over, uh, is my experience. Uh, the the per- parent in charge meant nothing. And when they're, when they're younger than 11 or 12, they just don't have the, the motor skills or, the, or the, they just don't have enough to draw upon, with rare exception, so your, your uh, coaching tips are wasted. 11 and 12, there's a reason they put them the very best of the 11s and 12s on TV, because they can do it. They can. It's it's a reasonable facsimile of it. And of course, some of them sprout up. But uh, last thing you said, pure. It's a place of pure 
uh, competition. And I think Danny Almonte ruined that for me uh, <laughs> once and for all. There's certainly been some ringers that got through, uh, fell through the cracks and we never exposed them. But I have not watched that stuff very closely over the years. The real thing, far better. I'd much rather be down in a North Springs Little League again, coaching one playoff game with no 10-run rule. And if they want to run up the score on you and beat you 50 to nothing, they can. We had one where we won 23 to two and, and we just, the kids just kept doing the right thing. You, you don't give away at bats. We weren't trying to embarrass anybody, but I certainly was on the other side. In, in Oneonta, we lost something like 27 to two. Um, but, you know, you live and learn and these are all experiences. And I did have a 333 winning percentage. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's go on to Kimball now uh, with uh, our second point. Oh, thank God. Give us the inside story behind the San Diego Padres trade. Yes. <laughs> what hat am I wearing, by the way, today? I don't know why you're wearing that Washington Nationals. <laughs> They're loaded. This team's loaded. What a future. We gave them a lot of good prospects. So um, did you guys watch any of the Live Golf last weekend? No. I, I don't even know when it's on, protest. and I couldn't care less. Okay. And 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 – I don't think I need to ask Tim this, but did you guys bet on any of the <laughs> Mike, I'm sure you did. No, not did yet. You? Not yet. You didn't. Okay. Do you intend to? I I can't rule it out, but I'm really trying. I'm, I'm not compelled to watch it at all. No. Okay. And w will either of you draft Deshaun Watson on your fantasy football team? Coming up this, <laughs> this fall? Don't have one. Okay. But would you um... if you did? No, I I would not uh, I would I would not uh, rule it out. I have Trevor Bauer on my fantasy team right now. Mm. Fair enough. And and Mike, are you um, gonna watch not, your Dolphins? I'm not prepared are to you, answer any more questions. Are you gonna watch your Dolphins this fall? Are you gonna root for your Dolphins? I don't. I'm not a Steve Ross person. I <laughs> I would be fine if Steve Ross having covered him. And having seen the bumble, I, I, it's incredible. Anyone who's gone to Michigan uh, must be embarrassed that Steve Ross uh, put, has his name is still on the business school. In well, speaking of speaking of guys who went to Michigan, do you, do you think Tom Brady should have felt any punishment this week? Do you think he should have had it for his part in uh, the uh, Dolphins scandal, the latest NFL scandal? This whole this whole questioning feels like a gotcha. It, well, yeah, it's a bit of a gotcha. Yeah. I, I have your phone record, so um, <laughs> I, I already know the I answers. threw mine in the river. <laughs> yeah, I already know the answers. No, I, I want to talk about how much we are um, complicit or how much we are hypocritical when we ourselves do these things. And that's why I asked about Live Golf, because I think I saw, I, you know, I don't really watch golf and I didn't watch any Live Golf, but I think it was a writer was writing about like, you know, it's horrible that these players are even playing on this tour. And you know what? I was watching some of it and it's bad golf too. And I'm like, well, wait, 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 you were watching it? Um, because isn't that where it starts? I mean, we think watching a sporting event is, is pretty harmless, but of course that's where it all starts. If, if we didn't watch it, then there wouldn't be commercials and they wouldn't pay the players. They wouldn't, it wouldn't happen if we just turned it off, if we just said no. And so I always think about, you know, people will be up in arms about Deshaun Watson and he shouldn't play for the Browns, but sure, well, I'll come and I'll draft him on my fantasy team. 
and I'll play them and or I'll watch the Browns or I'll bet on the Browns like Mike will or I'll bet against the Browns or I'll, you know, and I just wonder, like, how much are we responsible for these things? And, um, you know, I I was wondering if you won't answer those direct questions, Mike, you know, maybe you'll answer like, how much do you feel like um, we contribute if if we do it? If we say, oh, it's horrible, it's horrible that this guy's even playing. And we've had tons of athletes we've talked about here that have done horrible things and then they go on and play. And are we wrong to then watch, support? Should we all, I know there's some people that are like, oh, I'll never watch another NFL game after Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the anthem and things like that. I always wonder how much they really stick to that. Um, but do you think there, do you feel any responsibility to to not tune in, to to boycott these things? You know, we're all happy that Tiger, we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, Tiger didn't go with Live Golf, but then we'll turn it on, maybe, you know, we'll bet on it, we'll watch it, um, or not. Do you, are you guys boycotting it? What do you guys think? Well, you asked, you asked me directly first, so I'll get in and get out on that one. I mean, I I did say during uh, back a couple of hiatuses ago that uh, I thought Tiger would eventually regret turning down the easy three quarters of a billion that he could have made, but I think he may have recouped in positive uh, reaction um, and legacy points. He may have recouped maybe, oh, I'm going to say a third of it already. It feels like it um, and because it, it's, it's going to be repeated ad nauseum that, that he, and he had, he was the one principled active player who, who didn't take the easy money, but I'm not interested in watching it because it's about when you watch these, it's about the impact. Like we talked about the British open, which was great. Uh, you know, uh, one of the great things about it is what is it, what, what's it mean? How long in the future will we talk about? It? It's not just the, the, in a vacuum. And so the courses that they're playing aren't compelling and individuals, unless there was some like potential for, true danger on the course if you know if somebody was just going to be allowed to run out there and beat up phil uh, you know that that might be it'd be have to be a pro wrestling aspect but um david faraday took the money and that's concerning because i always like david faraday and he is a person who will make me watch a, i might just you know i i commented to daniel my son that during the british open faraday's not getting to talk enough it was too much too much azinger and 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 too much of the of the basic guys I, I wanted to, so if you, if they just turn, I mean, Barkley turned down the money with, that's fascinating. There's a guy with gambling debts like Phil and he turned down the live money, which was strange, but Faraday took it and David Faraday, I've always respected and enjoyed. And, uh, that that's, that's, that's my weakness might be if, if, uh, if it becomes a place to, to, uh, to, you know, to hear him and cause he's hilarious. Uh, I might get sucked into watching a little of that. No, so far, no, haven't watched a second of it, but I would never draft Trevor Bauer. That's, that's hideous. And I even take, uh, in my, I don't believe you. I would never, never do that. And, uh, you know, I haven't had to be tested on it, but, I, but I wouldn't. And, um, I certainly as an investor, as a small time investor with, who just does whatever the Motley Fool, uh, uh suggests, I uh, I do try to invest with a conscience, and I don't invest in tobacco companies, for instance, even though they're they're awfully good at it. And and I sold all my Facebook stock, so there. But yet you might watch Faraday. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's 
if you get if you really start missing him. I haven't done so yet. I haven't canceled him. <laughs> I haven't canceled him because he built up so much goodwill in my mind. He's brought me so much enjoyment, even when he had the one hour interview show uh, on Golf Channel, I believe. I just think he's excellent at what he does. And um, I feel in, you know, I, I feel invested in, in his broadcasting career. And I'm disappointed uh, that he took whatever he took, because that's going to be the only place to hear his uh, very uh, particular brand of golf analysis and humor. I think I just think he's I think he's an entertainer. But uh, so I'd rather listen to Faraday than watch any of the people live bought up. And that includes uh, Brooks Kepka and his little brother. But it sounds like you're not faulting him the way you do the players. I don't know why. I don't know why that. Because <laughs> uh, he's not me. There's I, the gotcha. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I didn't realize we were on trial here. But uh, <laughs> uh, let's go to Tim now for some more bobbing <laughs> and weaving. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't bother bobbing. We. I don't need to when it comes to to live because I, I I agree with what you said about about the fact that, you know, we watch things because it means something to us and live golf right now means nothing. Uh, it is just, it's, it's, it's happening in a void. My, from my understanding, very few people are watching it. And honestly, I don't, I don't think that's, that's even what it's about right now. I mean, right now, nobody, you know, I don't think the Saudis are all, all that concerned about how many people, people are watching it. This is all about just being able to see how many, how many, uh, PGA players they can poach off of the tour, and it's become Greg Norman's crusade. It seems at this point to uh, see how see what kind of damage he can do to the PGA tour, and really that's all that's all this is this is about right now. Uh, you know, I don't watch for the you know for the same reason I don't watch live. I don't watch much of the if if any of the you know the uh, the Travelers Championship or the the uh, whatever that was on last week, the 3M, you know, any of this stuff. I mean, as I've, I've mentioned before on the podcast, I'll watch, I'll watch the last few minutes, few minutes of almost any sport anywhere, anytime, if it's a close game, just because I, the fun of sports to me is the drama of competition and, and, uh, but that hasn't, but even, even that has not crossed my radar with live. I mean, if you put, if you, I, I don't know whether, if I was surfing around and I came to the 18th hole and there was uh, Kepka and and uh, uh, not Kepka, uh, there was Bryson. Um, Bryson and Phil battling it out, tied on going down the 18th fairway. I I, I don't even know whether I would care. I, I just it just doesn't. Uh, there's something about that that just seems so schlocky to me that I that I wonder whether I would even care about it as much as I would you know, two mid-level PGA pros battling it out like Tony Finau and somebody else battling it out in the last round of the, of the tournament in Detroit last week. I think there's some, my gut tells me I'd watch that before I'd watch Phil and, and Bryson do live. And it's not, not out of any principle. It's purely based on, on do I care? And does this mean anything to me? And what is, you know, what's the, what's the bigger picture? And the bigger picture in on the PGA Tour, you can always trace it to to something else. There's a, you you have some history with Tony mm-hmm. Finau. You care about whether or not you know he's had a lot of close calls over his time. And all right, all of a sudden he's won two tournaments in a row. Well, that's a breakthrough. That's kind of interesting. That's you know we're all storytellers, and that to me is a good story. Um, there's nothing about 
there's really nothing happening in live golf right now that to me is is a good story it's just kind of an ugly story that that i've i've basically tuned out but uh but does it when it comes down to the the, the question of kimball's uh question of are we hypocritical um probably yeah um yeah i think you know there there are certainly stances that i would take um and then i would have to go back on that stance based on yeah i don't I don't, I obviously think everything that Trevor Bauer has done is hideous, but we're playing a, you know, we're playing a fantasy baseball game and, and co- competition tells me that that might've been a good decision. Turns out it wasn't a very good decision. So maybe I got what I deserved. Karma. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Like, you know, when we, when we're willing to break and we, we fault people for taking the money, but then it's like, well, we might all have our price point where it's like, okay, now my morality goes out the window. And I, I will give you some scouting um, inside talk. Whoa! This goes way back. <laughs> this goes way back to when I was a Blue Jay. We were all meeting in a room, and I, I, I think we were talking about uh, taking on Ryan Braun's salary when he was at near the end, and he had a big contract. And and this this very guy, this scout that I always thought, you know, it seemed like a very um, uh, moral person. You know, we were going around the room, who would do this trade? Who would do that? Who would take Braun for this? And he was like, I wouldn't do it. No, I just don't think he's a very good person. I, I you know, I'm too bothered by his, you know, his past and whatever. And and then, you know, he was, well, what if it was, we don't have to take this much of his salary. How about if it was this much? And he said, okay. He's the same person. He's the right. same person. So yeah, we all do that. But I guess to, 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 uh, you know, make my point uh, and to answer my own question, I think, you know, unless we're personally responsible, I don't really feel like we we should, I, it's my take that we should not um, feel bad about it. We should not feel involved. And, 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 you know, watching it on TV, that's a long chain away from paying that person's salary. Uh, having them on our fantasy team is a long way away from that. In fact, there's probably no real connection there maybe and um and so i've always said that like you know unless we're personally involved or you know and then even if i were personally involved with sports it's about the law right so like if a guy's done his time if whatever has happened if if the legal system has has decided that this player is now served as you know debt to society who are we to then say oh i'm going to not you know take him on or whatever so you know if that makes you feel any better mike i think you can go ahead and watch your your golf broadcast <laughs> um and get your fill of fantasy maybe the thing to do is i'll have the the, the uh, broadcast on but i won't be watching i'll just be doing other stuff i'll be multitasking and i'll just hear faraday faraday does know, he have it, a podcast David Faraday he probably does. We we should have. Yeah, maybe him on. we should get you that podcast. So you can just listen to his voice. Do, that. do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know David Faraday uh, with the Northern Ireland and just a great storyteller and you know recovered alcoholic and uh, I believe you know he's had personal family tragedy and I just respect him greatly and on this one decision. I, I wish he had this one decision. I wish he had, I'm sure he's made plenty of bad decisions like we all have, but this one, this one registered and uh, he's the one that uh, I struggle with uh, condemning on the live. What did thing. he say about it when he took the money? I don't, I didn't see his justification. I've been, 
I've been uh, up to my neck in Notre Dame preview uh, stories, and that all starts tomorrow. Hey, we're two-thirds of the way through this uh, in our reboot of three-point range. We thank you for finding us and listening and and, uh, humoring us. Uh, You can continue to humor us on, well, the aforementioned Facebook. Uh, There's a Facebook page there um, with three-point range. There's a sub stack that sometimes gets updated. And, of course, you can find this podcast and all your favorite podcast outlets, including uh, Google and Stitcher and Spotify and Amazon, etc. So thank you. Um, And uh, we'll try to be less scarce moving forward. Every time we get together, we do have we have fun and we do at least make ourselves think. And um, and I think uh, I I really think we put this one together because Kimball wanted a victory lap um, after the trade deadline where his employer was in the news. But we can't get into it too much. But I've already made my point. Uh, You can't see my hat, but it's a Nationals hat. Um, So now the final point. Uh, I would like to talk about a very uh, sad outcome, but maybe not um, a temporary setback, but another setback for the best player, women's basketball player in college, and maybe the most marketable women's basketball player on the planet, the one who could really vault the sport to another level, and that's Minnesotan and Yukon Husky Paige Bukers, and she we talked about on the show uh, when she blew out her knee or suffered a very serious knee issue back in December against Notre Dame. At that time, I was critical of Coach Gino Oriema that he maybe should have taken her out of a blowout game in the final 30 seconds. We, we certainly hashed that out. I still wonder because she came back later in the season. seemed like a rush job. She came back within two and a half months and played heavy, heavy minutes in the tournament, got UConn all the way to the final. And then now she's blown out that same knee, a torn ACL, and she will be out for this coming season and really will not be a uh, factor in a meaningful game again until I suppose November of 2023. So 15 months away from the public spotlight to an extent, but Paige Bukers, our listeners may realize, may follow her on various social media, is in the NIL era, the front runner among all current uh, women's college athletes, I would say. Um, apparently, she makes an estimated, and this is just an estimate, but it's, it seems like a credible estimate, $63,000 per social media post. That's what, uh, that's the formula that they, uh, and she has all sorts of major companies that back her in the NIL space. And she did make this announcement on her Instagram account. And that's not insignificant. She has 1 million followers on Instagram. She's only posted 94 times on Instagram. So that's an incredible ratio. I've, I have it just about the opposite. I believe I've done about a million posts and I have about 94 followers. So uh, good on page. But uh, she also has 3.7 million likes on TikTok, and I've watched a couple of those. I'm not—I have a TikTok, but I'm not doing any dances. And uh, and she so she's found ways to monetize that, build her personal brand. I have no problem with that. 
She also has just 75,000 followers on Twitter, which I spend way too much time on, and I'm not trailing her by that much, so that maybe I've, I'm out of whack. Maybe I should do a little better job on Instagram. But this is about Paige Bukers and the loss for women's college basketball. I enjoy watching her play. She's a scoring machine. She can she can rebound. She can pass. She can do everything pretty much. I'm not sure about the defense, um, but um, she's, she's fun to watch. And uh, for the team that always seems to matter, always going to be relevant, she's out now 15 months. And I wonder... Will there be any sort of chilling effect on the NIL upfront payments that so many athletes are now able to get? And they, they have a right to that. I, I have no problem with that. But there's a, you know, in terms of return on investment, um, if uh, any of those companies, uh, recognizable companies that uh, have cut deals with Paige Bukers, um, will the other athletes have a hard time, especially in the women's space maybe, that um, – that it'll be harder to to get that upfront money, or will it have to be on the back end? I don't know. That's that's a more that's a drier question for another time. But um, uh, I hope she gets back soon. I hope she's able to continue on. And I'm I'm not sure that she should play another college game. Frankly, she's still very marketable. She'd probably be uh, once she's proved she's healthy. She'd probably be a WNBA number one overall pick, and maybe she should just go do that. But um, what uh, what else uh, strikes you guys about that? And it you know. Um, Am I am I on to anything in terms of a ripple effect? Well, first of all, um, are you so you were saying before, like you know, yeah. she shouldn't have been stayed in that game. Well, I think yeah. this is exactly yeah right. Like it, it can go anytime, and you're certainly not putting a correlation to the fact that she was overworked, right? On this um, one, while she's playing a pickup game, I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not right. charting her. Months, I don't have a Months GPS later, reading. she blows out that knee. So, you know, she had plenty happen. of time to rest. It can happen. Byron but, Buxton, he, he gets hurt all the time, too. For for people, that, you know, there might be a lot of our listeners, you know, half of the 12, maybe, um, don't know how much more common it is for a female athlete yeah. to blow out a knee than a male athlete. It's uncanny, right? I don't have the numbers. Maybe one of you does. But it's just, it's so sad, right? Because they participate and it's so much more common for them to to blow out a knee. Um, I'm not really sure, you know, if your point is more about the NIL <laughs> and what, what that means. I just, want, I just thought we should talk about it. It's per, certainly uh, topical. It's certainly uh, a meaningful uh, kind of on a several levels. And just as a, as a fan, I think it's a good product. The women's college basketball gets better and better. Um, and she's the, she's the biggest star in it and she's out. So save us, Tim, what do you got on this? Well, first of all, I'll say that, that, uh, you know, having been around the UNC women's soccer team a lot over the last two decades and watching the team get decimated almost on an annual basis by ACLs. There was one year where they had five ACLs on this in the same year. Um, that it is, it is a, an absolute, uh, epidemic in, in women's sports, particularly women's college sports. And funny, funny enough, it's, it depends on the sport. Um, basketball and, uh, and soccer are amongst the most dangerous sports for ACLs. Um, field hockey is basically bereft of ACLs for whatever reason. And, and I, I think it's, uh, you know, I've done, I've been fairly close to the UNC field hockey team and, and sort of just spoken to people about that over the years. And, and nobody's really completely sure why, but uh, but it just so happens that the that it's that it does hit you in 
in different sports um, more so than in others. So if you want to if you want to have a healthy career as a young female athlete, you should go, you should go into field hockey. Apparently, um, secondly, I think any sport obviously that loses their their uh, their best their the face of the sport that's that's devastating. Um, you know this this upcoming college basketball season on the women's side is not going to be the same because uh, they've they've lost the face of their sport and really you know I, I, you start to think well face of the sport is not even something that you have every year um, you know think about men's college basketball this this coming year I don't know whether you could really say that there is a face of the sport um, and so you, you, it's 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 somewhat rare to even be able to say that there is a face of the sport. So, and I think there's no doubt that that's the case with with Bukers for for UConn. So I, I say I think even more so in her case and with that sport, um, this is this is notable. This is just something that uh, sort of cuts the heart out of the season. It's something that's going to be talked about all season. Um, obviously, UConn. It's going to be a, a far different team, and it'll be interesting to see whether they, you know, whether they take a step take a step back without her. Um, they certainly did last year when she was out. Um, you know, it was just such a such a, a phenomenal difference. Um, but it, that's one of the things that's so interesting about dynasties. And as you know, I've dealt a lot with dynasties over over the years with UNC women's soccer, and somehow, some way, even when they are devastated by injuries they somehow managed to to hold it together and i think that's just because of the of the you know that there is there is a there is a um a je ne sais quoi about being a dynasty that that you kind of just you know you're able to withstand things that maybe other programs can't so i don't expect that you that you that yukon will fall apart um but i will say that i'm that i'm rooting for it because um I have a have a personal stake in this that I that I always want UNC women's soccer to be considered the greatest greatest dynasty in the history of college sports. Well, that's our show for this week. We appreciate you finding us here and giving us another listen. This has been Mike Berardino signing off for the Scout Kimball Crosley and the Professor Tim Crothers. Have a great week.